If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. Hey guys, how you doing? JP Sauri Kolia here and welcome again to this week's episode of H of Heroes, my podcast. This is episode number 180, so I'm so grateful that we're getting close to the number 200. You know, 20 more episodes and we'll be there. But I'm so glad that uh, I'm able to do this podcast. It's, it's, it's a pleasure of mine to do it uh, every week where, where I can share my views um, in regards to anything, whether it's collectibles, whether it's uh, comics, whether it's the entertainment world, or even anything of life. I, I love to share this time. I love to have the opportunity to really express my thoughts in regards to what I'm thinking and what I feel about what's going on in anything that I'm passionate about. And today in this episode, and I want to talk about something that is, I think it's been kind of, I would say bothering me, but something that I, 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 I've seen, I've been seeing a lot of people asking the questions and definitely sharing their frustration on my main channel, JP Sour Reviews, where they talk about, um, you know, the cost, the, the rising cost of these collectibles that we, we love. It seems to me that companies are selling stuff a uh, higher cost now, of course, a uh, higher in the, the the price tag is is higher, and you know it, it comes to a place where we feel like how how much is too much? Uh, are the companies doing the right thing by pricing the stuff extremely high? Uh, of course, you know you have to see it from a perspective the perspective of a person that has been also in the hobby for a long time. I've been as I mentioned before, I've been collecting statues for almost twenty years, on and off. A couple of times there was a break, like a five year break when I got married and I didn't do much, but I've been on and off collecting statues at different scales over it over time. And I've always been passionate about this hobby. This is one of the reasons why I, I do love, uh, you know, talk, you know, talk about collectibles and statues on, on my channel is one, one of the main columns of my channel. One of the reasons why people come to my, my channel in the first place to, to hear me talk about the collectibles, hear my reviews, my thoughts and what I share about it. And but also I love action figures and all of that, but I love statues. You know, definitely I do. I love the the art. I love the concepts. I love the franchises, and I I really love to collect these things and set up any type of diorama and all of that. I've been doing that, and if you follow my channel, you you know that I I do love to do that. Perhaps I don't do it as much as I used to. Of course, you know now I've been dedicating myself to do this full time, which means that my income has been shrink really really big. You know, it's, you know, I lost a lot of revenue by doing so. And, uh, you know, things, it, it was just a decision that I have to make uh, because I wanted to do this full time. I really love to do this. I love to get up in the morning and talk about these things. Something that a regular job where you can make a lot of money and, and I was making good money on the in the finance industry, but it was not something that I was passionate about. It was something that I did as a career over the years, you know, started there, you know, like life, you know, something start. You start in one thing, you, it's not really what you want, but it's an opportunity. You take that opportunity and you move on with it and, you know, you, you make bank with that. But it doesn't mean that you're totally 100% in it. And, of course, I got to that place in my life where I felt like I wasn't in it. Uh, and, you know, we all go through that process in life. And this is what I do, what I've been doing for the last two years. But in considering about the collectibles and the price and how everything is so costly compared, you know, when I started almost 20 years ago when you can buy something for $100, 
you know, statue. And back then it was still pricey. You thought, oh, that's a lot of money going to uh, your local comic book shop and buying a statue for a hundred dollars. And then the stuff went up into 150 and then 200 and 250 and 300. And you thought back then that you were just, you know, being wasteful with the money. But now when you look at statues where they are in the a thousand dollars, some bucks are like $5,000 and you realize that, wait, wait a minute. I think the train just kept moving and I was left behind because this is not something that I'm uh, totally, uh, totally in it. A hundred percent. I'm not, it's like, to me, it's like, what happened to this world where everything was in, in a way more affordable. Now we have gone into crazy mode and everything's extremely expensive. And definitely there are times where you doubt the veracity of the cause you're thinking okay the companies are just trying to kill you they're trying to make a lot of money as possible before this bubble explodes but we have to be you know we have to put some of those feelings aside as well and we have to be careful not to accuse companies of just trying to steal the money because i i I seen those comments in in many places in, in, in facebook groups even on the forums where people are saying oh you know companies are just here to take your money and i think you know, it is, they are businesses and ultimately it's about making profit. And if you're not profitable, then you're in the wrong business. You know, you have to change some things here and there. Or maybe you need to bring someone that understands business better than you and they have to run the company for you. Um, but it's important to know that, um, yes, you know, it is something really crazy to see the prices. But mo- there's more than meets the eye. There's more there than sometimes we don't see because we're not on that end. We're not producers. We're not working for these companies. We're not in the same business line. So we don't understand what entails. So in this podcast today, in this episode, after this long introduction, I want to really talk about it. I want to share what is it that actually entails in order to produce these things. And I'm going to use... My, I would say my knowledge over the years working in the finance industry, working in and pretty much in, in for big companies or corporations where, you know, at the end of the day, the bottom line is the bottom line. And, you know, corporations where, you know, you go into, you know, there's so many different departments and different areas where there is manufacturing, production, all of that. So I'm going to use some of my experience to kind of dissect some of the stuff here and really explain why is it that some things are more costly than we want it to be. And maybe this can help to understand things, not not saying that it's given the companies a free pass to do whatever, but also gives us an understanding so we know exactly what goes into the production of the pieces we love. But, you know, first we need to really point this out. You know, in order to have a business, all these companies, of course, they are, uh, you know, really good companies in the sense that they do have a license. Their business is like, you know, they have their businesses established by whatever state they're part of and, you know, wherever they at, and they have to pay in order to have a company. First and foremost, you have to have a business license and also you have to have some sort of insurance. That's extremely important to establish a company. Of course, that in, in the end, all of these things, factors that we're going to mention here are also included in the price of the product, the products you're buying. So first, you know, you have to pay for your license as a business, which is the easiest thing to get. And any company has to be established where there is a mortar and brick company. You know, that means that you have a location, a retail store where people can walk in, all of that. Or you are a pretty much web-based company. You know, some companies don't have, a, you know, I would say a boutique or they don't have a store. But they do have, of course, you know, a everything is managed uh, on the web. And, you know, nowadays we see more of these companies popping. You know, there are actually different people around the world. And, you know, of course, the web allows us to do that. 
but you have to have a license. You have to be established in a state. A lot of these companies are establishing, you know, are, there are a lot of companies established in California, but a lot of these companies have moved into other states due to the, you know, in this case, the taxation in California, some places like that, you know, there are places, companies based in, in, I would say, in Texas, you know, all over the country, but also there are companies around the world, you know, you know, companies in Singapore, companies are based in, in Luxembourg, in France, uh, places like that. So first, this is the thing, you have to have a license that is not cheap. You know, it depends where you are. Some countries are more expensive than others. Some states are more expensive than others. So you have to have a license. If you have a, a location, an office, of course, you have to have a license for the location, all of that. So that is included. This is the first thing that is going to be included in the price. And then you have to have also insurance. And that's something that is going to play out. So it is very important now in the next steps that we're going to follow when it comes about the license. That's the second part. You have to have a product license. You have to have a franchise to sell these products. For example, SciShow. We're going to use SciShow as an example. They do have a license, a franchise. They Definitely, they control the one for scale licenses for Marvel. And I think up to a certain extent, they do control some of the DC stuff and, of course, Star Wars. And they do have that. And they're the ones that hold this license in the United States. And that is not cheap at all. And also, we have to consider the royalties. Now, normally, the way licenses work for most companies, and one thing is true, you know, I've, I've heard this rumors. I'm really not into the knowledge of how much the licenses cost, but I've heard that you're looking at around minimum, at minimum, $100,000. $100,000 that you have to pay. That's the minimum for just one small license uh, for Disney. In this case, you know, Disney, you know, handles Marvel handle Star Wars, Pixar, all of those things, those franchises, National Geographic, all of that. So you have to go through Disney and then you have to be approved. There is a form, there's a website you can go. And in this website, well, you go in there and of course you fill the information, you know, it takes, you know, weeks, months for them to get back to you. And if you get approved, you get approved and at least $100,000. Now, a license as SciShow holds, you know, SciShow holds a license where definitely they control one particular scale, the one for scale in, in North America, then that you're talking about not a hundred thousand dollar license. We're talking about a, a multi-million dollar deal. So they pay millions of dollars uh to uh Disney for to hold that license and not let anyone else to touch it. And that has to do, of course, you have to find a, I would say, a licensing attorneys. And of course, you know, they have a legal department. You got to deal with legal departments. You have to have lawyers. You have to have lawyers. And of course, all that goes into what you pay in order to have this license. And not only that, not only you pay the license, every product you make, you have to pay royalties for every single product. So if I'm making, let's say, for example, Ahsoka right now that it just came out for SciShow, not only they're paying for the license of Ahsoka or having the Star Wars, you know, Rebels or Star Wars, all the Star Wars stuff. They also have to pay a percentage of whatever they make out of the production of this piece. What are they, you know, whatever they make out of it. So in, in average, you're talking about between 10% to 20% of royalties that you pay. The average will be 15% middle road. Uh, and so like smaller companies, newer companies, they pay higher royalties, of course, because they're new, they have to establish themselves. But, you know, and you pay a percentage. So every time you're buying one of the statues, you're not only paying, I would say, SciShow, because we're using SciShow as an example. You're also paying Star Wars, Lucasfilms, which in the end is owned by Disney. You're paying them for every product you're selling. There is a percentage 
that goes to them. The same that happens with movie theater tickets every time. And that's one thing that a lot of people are not that satisfied, particularly a lot of uh, small movie theater corporations, because the every ticket they sell for any movie that they bring people in to watch, there is a percentage that goes towards Disney that you have to pay to them. So the most money that they make this movie theaters is through the, I would say through the, the popcorn, through the soda, through everything you buy at the movie theater. So technically it's just an entry point just to get there. So yeah, there's a percentage that you're paying towards Disney, not necessarily towards SciShow. So that is also has to be included in the cost and the, in the end and the final price. So that's another factor that has to be considered. And I wrote all of this here. So I'm, I'm pretty much sharing all this information. I just wrote everything. I went through all my head and all everything that I know with my experience. And I said, these are the factors. So first we talk about what business license. You have to have a business. You have to be in good standing with that business. Sometimes you have to have a couple of years before you can get into the product license. You have to have insurance. And in some cases, uh, Disney will re you know, require for you to have a multi-million dollar, at least a million dollar insurance to cover everything. Because ultimately, Disney is very careful the way they manage their licenses. They're, they're very protective. They want you to sell a good product. So you have to have years of experience on the market. You have to have a good standing with customers and with the, you know, in this case, with everyone. So that way they can give you a license. Sometimes that little license is just an entry point into bigger licenses with them. Of course, I've just been doing business with them for a long time. So they already have established that report that the company needs. That's the reason why they can get away with more stuff. Or they can do more stuff in comparison to a smaller company that's trying to jump in, go into it, but they're just you know pretty much denied because they don't have the money. They don't have the, the warranters. They don't have anything in order for them to say, well, we are established and we can continue and something happens. We file bankruptcy at least. We're not bringing you down, in this case, Disney or Marvel or Star Wars with us. You know, that's something that companies, you know, in this case, Disney is so careful about that. That's something that the legal department handles. So that's one thing that you have to consider. Oh, we could, we could fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit SixFlags.com slash Coke to save up to $20 on passes, plus daily tickets starting at $34.99. Now, after you do all of that things, after you, let's say that you already have your business license, you already have your, uh, in this case, the, the franchise license, and you pay, you know, you're ready to pay those royalties. Of course, everything is set with a contract that you sign, all of that. Now it's about also the overhead expenses. Overhead is something that every business has. You have to, uh, first and foremost, you pay for rent and utilities. That's just bottom line. If you have a location, as Saisha does and all the companies do, they have to pay for that location. Whether you are mortgaging that place, you don't own it yet, or whether you already own the place, but you are, you know, in this case, paying for the rent, paying for the utilities, whether it's a light bill, the water bill, all the expenses that come, you know, with having a place like that. So that's another factor that is also included in the end in the cost, you know, and also you have to pay your employees and supplies. That's another thing that a lot of people don't really see. A company like SciShare has a lot of employees. Not necessarily. It's not, I would say, the biggest company in the world, 
but they do have employees. They have people in different departments. Of course, every company has different departments. You, I would say, for example, I can name a few. You're talking about accounting. You're talking about credit, clerical, customer service, quality control, warehouse, shipping and handling. Normally, warehouse and shipping and handling kind of go alongside, but they're two different departments. You also have the marketing department. You have the social media and the web design department. You have the art department, which is technically all the artists involved, you know, art directors, the sculptors, the painters. You have an IT department that handles everything within the company. You have human resources, just to name a few. These are all the departments that normally go into the buildup of a company. Of course, some companies have multiple departments in so many different areas that handle different things. But a company that, as a sideshow, has established itself they have to have that. And of course, they have all these employees and every employee in every aspect of this company, um, you know, they, they, they have different, you know, ranges of salaries. You know, there are supervisors, people that they have been there for, for a while. You don't only have to pay their salaries. You also have to offer benefits, you know, depending on the state you're in, there's a certain level of benefits. You have to offer insurance. You have to offer that. And of course, 401ks, all of those things are included in the cost of this, you know, production. And ultimately it's reflected in the price of certain products and all the products. So you have all of that and every department is different. They handle different aspects of the production, but you need an all, you need them all in order to run this business. So that's one thing. And also, you know, you need to pay also for your supplies as every office, every place you are, you know, you have to have supplies, you have materials. The art department, they need, of course, they, everything they, they use in order to produce. They need the paints. They need, of course, the, you know, all the art supplies. They need the, the resin to build all the stuff. You know, the computers, they need the software. They need to be maintained. You need the antivirus because, of course, a lot of stuff is doing 3D print now. But you also need paper. You need pens. You need all this. You need water for, for you know, for people drink water as well. You need coffee in the coffee machine. So you need so much stuff. You know, ultimately, that's all that stuff. All that stuff has to be included, included in the final price. Because, you know, you're running a business. You're not doing this from home. It's not one person just doing everything and running everything from home. You have multiple people involved in this process. For the person that answers the phone when you call, you have a request. For the person that is actually uploading the videos on YouTube, the person that is actually managing the social feed on Facebook, on the different, in this case, forums and different groups that they, they handle, they get paid for that. The people that manage that, the administrators, they get paid for that. You know, they're not just doing it just for the fun of the art. They're doing it because it is a living. You know, they're getting paid to do those things. And of course, you have all of that together, comes together with human resources. You have to have a person that is always there to handle all those aspects that are in part of a business. So yeah, you have a lot of employees. You have a lot of supplies to purchase. So all of that, of course, is included. It's not necessarily just the rent, not necessarily just the light bill. You have to have all the stuff that these people need in order to get the job done. Now, that's just another part. Now, the fourth part that I want to mention is the pre-production expenses. And this is the part that most of us, we get to know, or the part that we are more involved with in the in everything, which means is that the company, after they have everything they need, because you have to have a license before you even produce anything, or you design, or do a prototype, or do all of that. So the pre-production expenses, or the pre-production costs, first, it starts with the art directors and designers. You have to have people that are going to in this case, create a mock-up or something, a concept. And that's what the art directors, and sometimes a big company may have, you know, a company may have just one art director, but most companies, they have different art directors because they handle different licenses. So you have one that handles, 
everything that has to do with Star Wars, and one that handles everything that has to do with, uh, in this case, Marvel, one with DC. Sometimes a person kind of handles everything, but you have different areas in different, you know, parts. Like, for example, that's something the Diamond Select does. Diamond Selects and Gentle Giant, they're di- technically they're the same company, but they have different divisions. Gentle Giant is a division of Diamond Select. But one person, in this case, I think Clavermore, ha- handles everything that has to do with Marvel. But they have another person that handles everything that has to do with Star Wars. So there are differences here. And these art directors, you know, they, they handle different aspects of those production lines. You know, the same happened. Even though we don't know much insight with what Prime 1 does, definitely Prime 1 has to have different art directors because they do handle so many licenses. And ultimately, ultimately you need a person that is familiar with that particular license, you know, because it's the person that is going to design, who's going to direct everyone else to design. So you have our directors, the designers, they create the mock-ups. Sometimes it's a 3D mock-up, all of that. And then, of course, you got the sculptors. The sculptors, uh, they could be 3D. Nowadays, we have a lot of 3D sculptors. And a lot of people, they even a lot of traditional sculptors, the ones that they did everything by hand, they have moved into that new realm because it's easier that way it is faster and it's actually what the the market is demanding the most so they have moved into it but they're also traditional sculptors and also they get work so in many ways they are you know they they produce the vision whatever vision that the designer creates they come up and they create a rendering what there is in the computer or what there is just a regular traditional sculpt and they bring that for approval all of that process goes there and sometimes you got this crowdsource uh, projects where you have multiple sculptors building stuff. Sasha does that a lot, where a sculptor does the base, one does the figure, one does the face. So they do certain things. If you have a diorama, then you have multiple pieces as well. You know, if you have a diorama battle, let's say a Iron Studios, for example, the the Wonder Woman versus Dark Side. One person is called Dark Side, another person does Wonder Woman, another person does the base. So you have all this crowdsource type of projects. But all of that, in the process, you have to, once you do this, you know, once you sculpt it, once it gets done, then it has to go into a caster. You have to have a molder, you have to have a caster, a person that is going to make this prototype, bring everything together, put all the parts together, assemble everything together, make sure everything is clean and clear, set everything together. And, and the sculptor is not always the, the molder or the caster. So you have another department that handles that. Once that's done, once every part is put together, then you send it to the painters. And if you have mixed media, then definitely that's another aspect. So it's a lot of things that you have to be included. So you have to have a tailors that handle that aspect. If it's all everything painted, then of course you have to have a painter that handles everything. And of course, once you get something done, it needs to be sent out for approval. It needs to be sent out in this case for Disney for a pretty much for them to say, yeah, we like that. But this is the thing with Disney. They're so close to that from the get go. They want to know every single step. So they have people looking at from the design. They say, well, I agree with your design. I don't like your design. Maybe your design is presenting, you know, in this case with Marvel, they're trying to stay away now with Disney. Uh, Back in the day, you could have some certain aspects of your statue that they were okay with. But now, of course, they want to be more family friendly. So they have different policies. So they don't want blood. They don't want certain aspects of uh, presenting a hero with weapons like DC does nowadays. So there are a couple of things that you have to kind of go through all these hurdles in order to get approved. And sometimes they can say, you know, we don't like the design. We don't like that. You need to go back and redraw that. 
And sometimes even after everything has been redrawn and everything is sculpted and the prototype is shown, they say, well, we don't like the prototype because it presents, I would say, Wolverine more violent. Like, for example, I remember with, uh, one time I was talking to Sosa, with Eric Sosa, and when he created, uh, the, in this case, the concept for Saber 2 that was never produced, and ultimately a friend, you know, in this case, Tony, a friend of mine, and I, we came into the project and we created our own project with Sosa that was just a, you know, custom piece just for us. But in that end, uh, you know, the, the, the process was that he wanted to have like a dead deer that in this case, Saber 2 is holding a dead deer, which is an aspect that we know from the comics. But Marvel saying, no, it is too violent and too graphic for it. So they scratch it. And that's one of the reasons why it was scratched, too, because it didn't play with the way the Marvel license wanted to play. You know, so ultimately, there's so many steps here. And back and forth. And it means that sometimes you have to go back to the drawing board and you're already paying these people to do the work. Because not only you have in-house sculptors, in-house painters, people work there. Sometimes you also have to resource to uh, freelancers, people outside of your company to do certain projects. Because, you know, you have other, you know, your in-house people are already involved in other projects. So you have to expand that. Ultimately, companies want to make money, so they have sometimes to run so many different projects, and they have to use everything at hand, whatever they have in-house, and some of these projects can take weeks for them to be completely done, so they have to resource to someone outside, which it could be a you know, freelancer sculptor, a freelance uh, or a painter, or even a tailor. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you can find somebody that is going to do certain aspects. So when you have to go back to the redrawing board, it means that you have to pay extra. <laughs> so all of those things are included in the cost and ultimately it's also reflected in the price of the final product. So there's a lot of steps there. So we have that part, of course, the pre-production expenses. Once that's done, I'm going to call this next step the post-production expenses. This is the aftermath of the pre-production, which means the prototype. It means that now that you have the prototype, now that it's shown that everything is there, now it is time to deal with the factories and the increasing cost of manufacturing. So that's very important. It means that now after everything is done, the prototype is done, you have to contact your factory. Normally, these companies don't have their own factories. Some companies do. Uh, primarily, companies are established in Asia. So a lot of companies, they started in the production you know, as factories. Ultimately, they decided to go and move into their own. So companies like Pure Arts, they actually they have their own factories uh, I think XM also handles different factories. I think they do have different factories. I may be wrong. I think Prime One does too. Well, the companies they have their own. You know, depending on how what connections they have, uh, in, in Infinity Studio, I think they also have. You know, they used to be a, their own company. Now they are into production. So com- some companies they do have their own factories. Other companies they have to re- rely on other factories. So when they go there, they have to pretty much haggle the price. You have to haggle the price production. You have to talk to them. This is what I want to create. This is the prototype. What is the price that you're going to charge us for this? And they will tell you, well, we'll charge you this amount. Because, of course, you know, it is based on the, in the how much material is going to take. If it's going to take a lot of material, it's going to be heavier. Then, of course, it means that you have to pay more for that. You know, for the materials just to produce that. And we know that right now the cost of it, you know, when we talk about resins, for example, right now resins are going up in price because they are oil based. They are petrol based and everything that is petrol based right now, everything that is oil based, it is going up in price because the, you know, the cost of oil, how volatile it is in the market right now. So that means that it's more expensive to produce these things, you know, because the material is more expensive. So, yeah, the material is included into that cost. 
not only that, how much detail do you want to add to this piece? If it's very detailed, very intricate, it requires more time. Not only after you put all everything together, you have to put it all together. You have to cast it. You have, you know, you have to mold it. You have to cast it. And you have to bring all the little pieces together. And when you bring all these pieces together, you still got to clean that mold. You got to clean that, you know, make sure that everything is showing up, that you don't see those crevices and you don't see all those imperfections that normally come with that. Although, you know, nowadays everything's good because they're not really 3D printing every single piece. You know, there's no way you can do that. That's to be too expensive to produce. So they have to do one, you know, that's the main one. Or perhaps they do a couple of different uh, pieces in order to create more molds and, from that, they mold everything. And then you have people in the manufacturer, in the office, sorry, in the factory, that they're taking care, cleaning every part, assembling every part together, putting all the magnets, putting everything together and getting all together. Then you have to send it to your painter, painter's team in the factory. And sometimes they have different levels of paint, depending on what quality you want. Some people are, have been doing this for many years, so they're really experts on what they're doing. They're trying to really replicate what has been done to the prototype. And of course, and there are other people that are starting, so they do perhaps small things. But you have all this, you know, army of people working into the production of these pieces. And it can take months. So normally what happens is the company will kind of give you, in this case, the factory will give the companies an estimate of how much it's going to cost to produce. And say, well, this is how much it's going to cost. This is what it's going to take. Now, the company, sometimes they can haggle the price as well. How about we increase the numbers? So that way it reduces the cost because you have to think about it. This company has been in business for a long time. So they already know if it's going to be profitable at certain price point. So they say, if I sell this at $600, we may make profit, but because how much everything has been added, all the costs that we've been doing, you know, everything that has been added to this and to produce this, then it, we might not even come out even. So might as well just increase it, well, let's say to $800. So that way there's some profit. Now, it's important to understand that market profitability is it's, it's something that all companies are always considering. So in order to for you to be profitable, in order for you to really make up a mark or really come out, not even, but come out at the top, you have to have a certain, uh, I would say, percentage that you have to add up to the price. And sometimes these companies have already been in business for a long time, so they already know exactly where they need to be. So I would say a rule of thumb always will be that you have to mark up your product or you have to raise the cost. If it costs you a certain amount of to produce certain things, you have to raise it up, I would say, I would say an average of 30 to 35%. You know, that should be the case. It could be 40%. That way you are able to pay everything that you have, you know, and you're able to come out even. So you have to raise it up. And sometimes in some cases, some companies even raise it up even higher than that. You know, I'm just giving you a rule of thumb for a lot of manufacturing. Uh, working in my, in my experience working in manufacturing, working for different companies. So normally the product was marked up, I would say, between 40 to 50, 60, even 60% higher what it costs for them to produce. But it's not just because they're making pure profit. It's not 60% that you mark up the price. If it costs you, let's say, if something costs you $400 to produce, you know, that includes everything, all the expenses, uh, at least the manufacturing direct part of the manufacturing part. But then, you know, you want to come out even, then you sell it for what? For $1,000? So that way, it's $600, you say, well, it's not pure profit. That $600 is going to go into pay other parts of the business, whether there is the overhead, whether there is your, uh, you know, in this case, the license, whether all of those things, aspects that are not included in the initial cost, which is, of course, the design, all of that kind of stuff. And the manufacturing product, uh, the, the transportation, uh, in this case, the, you know, to, to, to produce, to manufacture in China, all of those things, the, the fees, legal fees, because also companies, they are manufacturing in China, you're not only 
paying the, the in this case the factory to produce you have to pay for legal fees you know you have to pay for exporting fees importing fees it, to, in order to do business in china you have to pay the chinese government that you are buying and selling products and you, when you bring the stuff in you also have to pay the customs here in, in north america another part of the world because you are pretty much importing stuff from china so it is a lot of things that are included in that that also are reflected in the price so yes the, the, the factories can tell you how much they want to charge, you know, depending on, and they, they have to do their estimates as well. And they also have to be profitable to pay their employees and, to, you know, to make money. But at the same time, you have to consider from the perspective uh, of you, uh, you know, how much is going to cost you. So concise in this point, it, again, it's important to always remember that the, the custom manufacturer, the estimate of the price that you are in the end is going to uh, really be reflected in the price. It depends on, again, on the quantity of the materials, how much materials you're going to use to produce this piece, uh, the level of intricate detail. That means that it's going to take longer and you need to have a more experienced workforce to do the work and also the requested number of products. And that's the reason, again, companies increase the numbers in order to, you know, to be more profitable. And, and nowadays with the high demand of many of these licenses, some of the, you know, some companies, for example, XM Studios, they, they maintain lower numbers. They, they kind of stick to the old formula collectibles. And I think there's always a market for that, for high-end collectibles. Uh, but other companies like Sideshow have been doing this for a long time. They understand that also demand is important. So the more the demand uh, certain products, then they can make more profit and they can come out even, or they can come out ahead at every step of the way. So every company has a different approach to collectibles. It's not one formula is better than the other. And the end is just a matter of perspective and what the company, the type of market the company is, is trying to reach. So yeah, that's an, an aspect that is very important to consider. Now moving to the next one. That is another one that in many ways is reflected with the price is dealing with customers, retailers, and returns. And that's something that you have to deal as a business. First, I would say social media advertisement. Once you get a product, once you set up a price, one in your mind, which is an estimate, ultimately say, well, this is what we need to do in order to come out even or to come out ahead. Um, the social media advertisement, it's pretty much everything that goes alongside it. You know, companies, you know, promoting that product in social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on their website, on YouTube, all of that. Also on the forums, you know, sending all that. Oh, just recently, this is the first time I, I, I don't know if this is the first time that I ever done it, but this is the first time that happens to me. And I think it happened before, but not like this. Like I got oh, my wife, it wasn't me, it was my wife that got a, some type of brochure from Saisha. I never seen that brochures. You know, I have materials from Saisha because I bought stuff from Saisha, but my wife never got anything on her name. It says like that person or the current resident on the house. This is something that marketing department does, which is amazing that now Sasha is going more broader with it. It used to be that it was just like, you know, just a niche market. Now it's like, okay, let's just try to hit every house in America. So let's send stuff to everyone out there to see if they can, you know, pretty much buy the product and they're interested in the product, which is, is interesting the way they do it. So social media advertisement, all the marketing that goes into it, that is costly. You know, it's not cheap. And the commercials, all that, the ads on the different, uh, you know, in this case, uh, social media platforms, all of that is included also in the cost. Customer service. You have to have a department which handles all the inquiries, all the people calling because they have problems with their pieces. Oh, I have a broken piece. Oh, this didn't come out right. Or this, this, and that. You know, people sometimes call for the, for all reasons. Sometimes are re reasonable reasons, but you also get the complainers that complain about a little spot, a little tiny little thing that nobody sees, but they say, Oh, this is imperfect. I need a return. I need my money back. I want to send it back. So you have to deal with all this 
crappy customer sometimes because that's the truth. And all that is included on the cost. It's included on the cost. And that's something that has always been spoken throughout the years, in particularly in forums. People have been in, in, in the hobby for a long time. They will tell you the more returns you send, the more they lose. And the more they lose, that has to be reflected. So companies account it. They always account all the losses into the final price as well. Returns, all of that. The overstock. You know, sometimes they order so many pieces, everything that gets stored in, in their warehouses, so all of that also has to be accounted into the cost. They have to, the companies already kind of, they know that it's going to be returns and they order more than the necessary number sometimes so they can have extra. So in the case of returns, they can handle the returns. Also, if they missing parts or broken parts, they sometimes they can grab from one, you know, some of the surplus or whatever, they can grab some of that into that and they use it on that. And sometimes that's how they, they handle it. Uh, it's easier that way. But, you know, in many ways, it's all of those factors that are included also into the price. We don't see it directly, but indirectly it affects the price. And that's the reason why the company says, well, we're going to lose this. We're going to have to deal with this. So might as well also include it. So that way in, in, in any eventuality, any situation, any circumstance that happened, we are protected and we have also, we're not losing money, but we are coming ahead. We're making money. So yeah, the companies produce more than that. And for example, with Boeing, this has went out of business. He was selling a lot of stuff, you know, like, Bowen was selling a lot of pieces that supposedly he had in his inventory. He has for his personal collection. Most of that stuff is just overstock stuff that he had, you know, sitting there in case of returns, in case of, you know, something that, you know, they have to do with a customer. They have to do replacements, all of that. Ultimately, all that stuff that is technically they didn't pay as much because it was already included in the price that was given to the customers. Ultimately, it's like, okay, now I have to pay for storage. Might as well just sell it, you know, for a good price. And that's what he was doing ultimately when, you know, pretty much the, the website went out of business. So, yeah, companies do that have. And so that's, that's the reason why you see things showing up all of a sudden. It says, oh, you know, something came out from the, the warehouse. It was hitting all the time. It wasn't hitting. It was sitting there, you know, for, you know, eventuality situations. The people were complaining. But after a while, everything is sold out. Stuff sitting there, just wasting time and you know, in this case, it wasting space and space is money as well as time. So might as well just get rid of it. And that's what they do. It uh, magically appears and they sell it in the website. Now, coming to the end of the podcast, coming to the end of the video. And I know I've been very technical today. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people will say, well, that, that we understand that that's just business 101. What that has to do with the pricing? You know, people would say, well, you know, that doesn't explain why some things are too expensive in comparison to before. And they would say, well, before things were this cheap, you know, the price was cheaper and now they're still expensive. However, keep in mind, keep in mind that these companies back in the day were a lot smaller than what they are now. It was one man show, you know, in most cases, you're dealing with one person, the same person is dealing with you in customer service, the same person is dealing with you, only a few employees. But now these companies have expanded, have grown, and there's so much that goes into maintaining these businesses that all of that in the end is reflected in the price. Of course, also licenses are more expensive than ever. You know, Marvel has become such a hot item that they require more from you uh, in order for them to give you that license, to maintain that license. They become more expensive. You know, you have to deal with your lawyers every time you have to renew a contract or renew a license. You know, the, the licensor might come to you and it says, well, it costs you a million dollars to maintain the license. Now we are charging you two million. So now there is a situation where you have to bargain with them. You have to bring your lawyers for them to try to come into an agreement. Okay, let's just meet in the middle. Let's do a million and a half, things like that. So that's something that is always constant. And I'm using the million dollars as an example. It could be even more than that. It could be or less than that. Who knows? Every license is different. And you have to deal with them in different ways. 
and you have to meet their expectations in order for them to give you. If not, they're going to go to the competition. And at the same time, some companies already established in a way that, you know, company, the big corporations, they don't feel the need to really have to kind of oversee or police everything they do. They let them do certain things. Of course, at certain steps, uh, at certain parts of the process, they will say, well, we don't like this. We don't like that. But for the most part, they'll give them free realm for them to operate. Uh, some licensors do that. Not all, you know, Disney is definitely on its own level and its own degree of control. So they, that's what they do. But yeah, the companies do a lot of things in order to stay afloat. But it's important to understand that companies, they do all sort of things in order to keep business flowing. And one of them, uh, companies often offer products at a lower cost or even at a loss as bait to lure new customers. That's something that is so, you know, something that is used so much. In all the different industries of retail. And definitely here we have the same situation. What happened is this. Companies sometimes they there's an entry point. There is a bait. You know, they produce a product. Let's say, I don't know, a statue. For example, Ahsoka. And we're going to use Ahsoka again. Uh, they started technically a Rebels kind of Clone Wars one for scale line with her. The price is fair. I wouldn't say it is too crazy of a price. Um, in comparison, they could, you know, they just kind of start. Pretty much uh, middle of the road in comparison to everything they're doing right now. It's okay. It's not the best, but it's okay. So people go for her because they like her. She's the likable character, everything. But now people feel, okay, now that I, we have this character based on this uh, subdivision of the Star Wars franchise, because definitely it's not, you know, you can, this piece is going to fit with everything that has to do with the animation. Where, who else is next? And then it's when the companies bring something more expensive into the table. And now... People feel like, I don't want to do that, but I already started with Ahsoka, so might as well just keep up with this collection. And now they're paying more for the next character. And this is what a lot of companies do. Like you have, Iron Studios is a clear example. They start with something very small. For example, with the Lord of the Rings collection, they start with uh, Gollum, for example. Very affordable, very small. People love Gollum. So as you know, people say, well, Lord of the Rings. So now they also bring up the characters at different prices. And all of a sudden they bring the troll stat, the, the, the cave troll at $650. All of a sudden now this is more expensive. And people are like, I don't want to pay that much money for a one ten scale statue. But the thing is this, I already got Gollum. I already got this other pieces for $125, you know, and I don't want to just stop now with this collection because I already started and in other words, you get lured to pay the $650 because you need to complete your collection. And that's what companies do. And that's, in some ways, you can say it's, it's some people would say it's morally wrong. But at the same time, it's just, you know, it is, it's legal. It is a legal practice. I don't think they're breaking any laws. It's just a, in some ways, some people will call this a switch and bait type of technique, which is, I wouldn't call it a switch and bait, but in some ways, it's kind of like we allure you with this. Now we have these products here for you to buy. And that's what a lot of companies do. They, they do, you know, they, they sell you something at a better price. And sometimes at a, not even they're making a lot of money out of it. Sometimes they come in at even, or sometimes they even, you know, they losing money on it, but it's just a way for you to be attracted to it. Kind of the same thing as Costco does with their chicken, you know, the rostisserie chicken. They don't make any money. You know that? I don't know if you knew, but Costco doesn't make any money with their chicken. But the allure is we bring people because they want to buy this chicken. And all of a sudden, you know, it's all the way at the back of the store. And we have all these things in the middle. You are distracted by all these things and you start buying all these things. Oh, I like this. I like that. So that's what they do. Even SciShow or every other company, they produce certain things at a certain level, you know, and they sell it for, you know, a cheaper price. 
So people come and buy that, but all of a sudden they get allured by, oh, I love this one. Oh, I love that one. Oh, I want to add this so I can continue this collection. And that's how they make money. So sometimes what they do, they allure you with some of the things that are lesser in price or, you know, they're not even making any money out of it. So you are lured into buy the more expensive stuff where it actually has a higher markup. They're making more money out of it, you know, and they're making more profit. So that's a simple technique that a lot of companies do, you know, and, you know, that's how you bring customers. That's what Sony's doing. Uh, Microsoft is doing with the Xbox Series X. They're selling the PS5. You know, it's hard to find them nowadays. I, I still looking for for one. But the thing is this, they bring you into the into the fold with this. You know, they, they don't make any money. They lose money there, but they know that they're going to make a lot of money with the stuff they're going to sell, uh, you, know, ver you know, in this case, digitally through it. So that's how they make money. And that's how these companies also make money. They sell you a statue for a good price. They say, oh, this is a good price. So people are happy for the price. But once you get into this collection line, all of a sudden they're going to hit you with all the pieces that are more expensive. And you are like, okay, you're already in. And a lot of people are so stubborn. They continue on. They move on and they continue adding and adding, which in the end, it's more money. And companies also always see the big picture. It's how you maintain your business. Also, Keep in mind that companies often make up for the losses with other products. And this is an addition to what I'm saying. So if they lose money on that, they're going to make up money on the other piece. You know, it isn't the same thing as when you go to a, a fast food place. You know, if they they hardly, you know, it, this is well known and well documented that the fast food environment, the fast food market is not always as profitable as people think it is. But companies make money in certain aspects. They lose money or they don't make as much money selling burgers, for example, uh, McDonald's. But they make up that loss with all the soda they sell. And if they upgrade your your combo into a larger or extra large combo, which in reality, you don't make more difference because the larger the cup, the more the ice. And actually, the way the cone shape of the... Technically, you don't, they don't add more soda to it. But they're making a lot of money. They're making a killing out of it. And because in reality, more than soda, you're drinking a lot of water and you have a lot of ice. So that's how they make the losses. And that's actually the, mar the, the profit margins of that is a lot larger than just the, the main product. So companies do that. And that's the reason why other companies, even SciShow and IC and Ironshare is doing now, they're also distributing for other companies, you know, because they're also making money, which in many ways is kind of like a passive income because it's not like they're making you know, they, they, they sell, they distribute, they say ship themselves, but they don't have to go through the process of manufacturing. They don't have to do the production of design. They don't have to pay for the license for that. All they do is selling for other parts in this is they're making money. So ultimately they become this retail type boutique store where they sell everything. So technically they're making money out of all the stuff that they're selling and they're making more money out of that. You know, it's increasing in number. You know, the more they sell, the more money they make without having to worry about, you know, like what they have to invest on their own lines. And that's what's happening with the company now. And, you know, this is the way you do it. Like extended warranties, for example, when you go to Best Buy and you buy a TV and they always tell you they send a warranty that nobody uses. Nobody uses, but a lot of people, they get lured to pay the $5, the $10, you know, extra. And you pay that and ultimately you never use it. And that's just easy money. And companies do that. So they do sell all sort of things. Now, the R prints, for example, they sell all the, you know, the apparel, all that stuff. They're doing it because it is more money. It's just extra that it's added because you come to buy this statue, all of a sudden you get destructed because of the R print. Oh, I want to have the R print with the statue. Oh, I want to have the T-shirt. You know, things like that. So it is the way they make money. Now, again, another thing, as I mentioned, in order companies, in order to soften the blow of the cost of production nowadays, what they do, they increase the numbers. And that's something that companies are doing. That's the reason some statues now, they have like a edition size of 5,000. 
which is amazing that they do that. It's, it's really a large number in comparison to before, but they sell that, and then they come up with a second run, another 5,000. That's what they were doing with DC stuff, with the Wonder Woman. They produced 5,000 pieces of that, and then they came out with another different edition. You know, maybe they changed something, but another 5,000. And so you're now a part of the second edition and things like that. That's how companies do it. Even Marvel does with the omnibuses. They print something and then there's a second edition and the third edition, the fourth edition. And that's how they make money. Now coming really now to the end of the podcast, coming to the end of the video. There's a lot, there's a lot that goes into producing these pieces a lot more than we, we think more than we see. I'm not trying to give a free pass of the companies because I think sometimes companies do certain things that are not necessarily good, you know, but at the end of the day, it's about making profit. It's about being sustainable as a business and they are doing what they're doing. Now, there's a lot of factors that go into the cost. You know, we talk about the production heavily on this podcast, the marketing, all of that, all that goes into it. The material cost, which is continues to rise, the, the, the cost of producing in China. As China lifestyle has gone up, as people have a uh, better uh, in a very environment, you know, back in the day it was cheaper to produce in China. And I have talked about it in the podcast before. It was, you know, cheaper. The cost was, you know, lesser. But now the lifestyle, the, the livelihood, everything has gone up in China because people are experiencing a, really a better lifestyle. So now people work, you know, in many ways, they, they want more money. So they work for the companies that offer better, you know, benefits and all of that. As we do in America, we move through company. If you don't get enough benefits, you don't get paid fairly, then you move to another company. They do the same in China. So that maintains a certain skill labor that ultimately you have to can maintain. So you have to increase their salaries. You have to pay them more because they're skilled labor. If not, they're going to go to the competition. And there's a lot of factories in China. So all of those factors are included into the rise of cost. Now the factors say, well, if we charge you $1,000 before, I'm using an example for this. Now we need $2,000. So it's double and sometimes triple at, at the beginning. So in many ways, you know, other companies where they're trying to do maybe move the markets into production in other places like China, like India or Vietnam that has become places where there's more manufacturing going on, even some manufacturing in Mexico, not as much in collectibles, but apparel, things like that. But you move into these markets and you're trying to produce stuff there, but also the more businesses you have there, also the, the livelihoods and the, the cost of everything goes up in those countries as well. The only difference with China is that they, they still maintain a very skilled labor that is going to take, you know, many years for a lot of countries to be at the same level. So China continues to be that place that ultimately you don't want to be part of, but ultimately you have to. And some people will say, well, that needs to come to the United States. You know, all the time you hear that people say, well, they need to bring the production to the United States. The problem with that is that it is really costly to produce in the United States because all these things that we deal here in the United States where there is, you know, employees, where there is legal laws, where there is labor laws, where there is business laws, all of that is going to be reflected in the price. If you're paying right now $2,000 for a piece, imagine if it was manufactured in the United States, you will pay $4,000 for the same piece. If you're paying $600, now you're paying $1,200. So yeah, ultimately, China is still the best bet and will continue to be the best bet. Uh, you know, and I don't see any slowdown in the, in the production of these pieces. You know, Iron Studios, yes, they're based in Brazil, but the manufacturer is done in China. All these companies manufacture in China. All of these companies, they may have some aspects that are manufactured other, in other parts, Malaysia, for example, but ultimately everything goes to China. And that's where everything is manufactured. So 
those are the things that we have to consider. Now, what is the future? I don't know. And, and probably I need to have a different episode where I talk about what I can I foresee in the future. And probably that will be the next episode of the podcast where I, I will talk about what I consider is the future of this hobby. And as the cost continues to rise, what I do see, and I think 3D printing and people manufacturing their own stuff, the custom market will continue to rise. And it's already rising and, and continues to do so. It doesn't mean it's perfect. I think some people take advantage of it. But I think as the technology is more accessible to people and uh, the you know 3D printers are more you know cheaper, uh, I think I can foresee people really doing things at home on their own. And I think that's the future. But of course, you know, it will take some time to get there. But it's very likely that it's going to happen at some point. For the time being, you know, you de- we depend on these companies. And yes, it doesn't mean that, you know, they're always doing the right thing. Some prices are too crazy. I, I understand that there's, you know, like sometimes some of the costs, it's reflected on the price. But sometimes some of the cost makes no sense. But at the same time, keep in mind that while they're losing in one, in one collectible from one line, they can make up for the end with the other one. And ultimately, you're forced to buy everything as a whole. And a lot of collectors do that. So that's how it is. All right. But what is your opinion? Definitely, I talk a lot today. But man, this is so interesting. I love that. I love to talk about this collective. So I talk about this in the podcast. And I'm really glad. I'm still searching for actually other... Uh, I've been busy with my life doing personal things. And these are going to affect also the podcast. And I'm going to affect my future with my you know production of the stuff that I do for my channels. So I, I've been, you know, I've been busy. So, but I'm still searching for uh, some other interviews. I'm trying to interview particularly artists and people involved in the industry uh, because I think it helps out a lot of collectors to understand the market, to understand what entails to do what they do and definitely what the future is. And and I think it gives us a better uh, view and definitely helps us to see things that we normally don't see as collectors, as consumers, but it's important to understand. So that way we know what we're getting into. Uh, but what is your opinion? What do you think about today's episode? What do you think about the pricing? Do you think that companies are still making a killing? Are still doing, you know, charging you more than they should? Or you think it is fair? Do you think they're just doing what they can? Let me know in the comments below. So once again, my friends, thanks for watching. If you're doing this on YouTube, thanks for listening. You're doing through the different platforms, iTunes, Teacher, Speaker, CastBox, all of those platforms. Thank you very much for your support. Uh, if you are listening, then if you want to leave a comment, come and follow me on Facebook, on Twitter. All the links are down below. Let me know what you think about my uh, about my opinion. Let me know what you think about the, the rising costs um, of production. My friends, God bless you. Take care. I will talk to you again. Bye-bye.